<clears throat> I appreciate you singing that uh, hymn with such gusto, and uh, I appreciate the fact that the, the organ, everybody seemed to really bear down on that uh, line, prone to wonder, but Lord, I feel it, I just feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Robert Robinson, uh, Robert, Robert Robinson wrote that hymn in the 1700s and confessed in his poetry his own um, proneness, his, his proclivity, his propensity, his predisposition to, to wander. All of us have that proclivity, that propensity, that proneness uh, to wander. Sometimes, though, we wander farther and stay gone longer than normal. And, and, and that constitutes what the Bible calls backsliding, that old-fashioned word that we talked about last week that I'm trying to reclaim because it's such a good word. Sometimes we wander farther and we're gone longer and we literally are, are backsliding. And we can get ourselves into a real mess. This uh, time last week, uh, one week ago today, USA Today had a, a, a headline uh, that read, Lost Hiker Rescued in Oregon Snowstorm. And he's quoted, the hiker is quoted, I wouldn't have survived another night. Rob Campbell uh, was hiking on the Pacific Coast Trail when he wandered seven miles off the trail and Got lost in the snow, and he was quite certain he would die. And he said, I thought they would find my body uh, next spring when the snows melt. Thankfully, the next day, uh, two deputies did find him. Hiking is a wonderful thing. Wandering, though, is a dangerous thing. I once did a funeral in my suit and my hiking boots as a, as a way of honoring the deceased an experienced hiker who had inexplicably wandered off the trail and died. Hiking is a wonderful thing, but wandering is a dangerous thing. And wandering spiritually is a dangerous thing. When we wander, when we wander too far and too long, sometimes we, we make a real mess of our lives. Last week, we talked about Robinson Crusoe, who wandered down to the dock and, and got on a ship that he shouldn't have gotten on and and ended up a castaway on a deserted island wandering uh, can get you into a real mess. Peter, we began the story last week, wandered. We heard the story of him on the, in the wee hours of a Friday morning when Jesus was being slapped around and lied about and framed and spit upon and then whipped. We We'd, we'd, we'd notice Peter wander. He began to lay back to try to identify with the people who were not following Jesus, not wanting to be identified with those who did. And, and then we heard him deny Jesus three times. We looked at Jesus' face when he turned and faced Peter after hearing Jesus deny him the third time. And we saw the hurt, the pain of betrayal in Jesus' eyes. And that's where we, that's where we left it. Today, I want us to pick up that story there. There's some things from this um, text that you heard so beautifully read a moment ago that I want to call your attention to. In Mark 
16, he says, uh, Jesus says, go tell the disciples and Peter, which does not mean that he's an extra disciple. It means especially Peter. We could read that accurately. Go tell the disciples, and I really want to make sure Peter hears, that I'm going to Galilee. So they were in Jerusalem. They were going to go north. I'll meet you north in, in Galilee. In fact, in Nigeria, where we lived, on the Monday after Easter, they call it Galilee Monday, and there's a great churches gather for worship experiences to commemorate that Monday after Easter when Jesus said, I'll meet you in, in Galilee. So the disciples went up there, and, um, and John 21 tells the story of what happened at, on that day when they met uh, up there. And there's some things from this story I want to... Um, I want to call our attention to. Number one, after the resurrection, Jesus went looking for Peter. In verse 7, we see Peter singled out, go tell the disciples, and especially Peter. But that's not all. Luke 24, 34 says, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Peter. 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to Peter, then to the 12. Why would Jesus appear particularly to Peter? Why did he single out Peter. Three times the Bible tells us that Jesus went especially to Peter. I don't know if there's an, an intended correlation or not, but Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times Scripture tells us that Jesus singled out Peter. Why? Because remember what happened in the wee hours of that Friday morning when Jesus was getting beat up and spit on and lied about and framed and then whipped, and Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus had predicted it. Peter had said, no, not me. I would die for you. But then he folded like a lawn chair in the wee hours of Friday morning and denied Jesus. And Jesus turned and Peter saw in his eyes the, the pain of betrayal. And that was that because that was early in the hours of Friday and Jesus was crucified just a few hours later. And so Peter would live his entire life with that image seared in his mind. The last time he would ever see Jesus Jesus was looking at him with those painful eyes because Jesus was dead, and that was that. Only that, as we know, was not that. Jesus would walk out of the tomb on Sunday, and he would go looking for Peter to extend grace to him, to, to forgive him, and we're going to talk about it in a moment, to reinstate him. Uh, Robert Robinson, who wrote those words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, also wrote, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the throne of God. I, I'm prone to wander, he said, but Jesus came looking for me. I have this proclivity, this propensity to, to, to wander, to, to backslide, but when I do, I look over my shoulder, and there comes Jesus looking for me. One of the most beautiful images in all of Scripture is the image of the shepherd who counts his sheep, and he gets to 99, and he panics. He knows there's supposed to be 100, and so he counts them again, and sure enough, they're just 99, and he knows which one is missing and so he leaves them armed only with his his rod to beat off predators and his staff to pull the sheep to him he knows the sheep is out there where the wolves lie in wait and so the shepherd goes seeking the one that has wandered when when Jesus inhaled and exhaled for the first time since Friday afternoon Peter was on his mind and Jesus went looking for Peter. If you've wandered, then you need to know that the Lord Jesus, by his Spirit, is looking for you. And what did he do when he found Peter? Not, he didn't shame him. 
He came looking for Peter to love on him and, and encourage him and invite him back home. If you've wondered, and somebody in this room, we have to be some of us, or by television or, or the Internet, some of us certainly have wondered. If you have, you need to know that the Lord Jesus is looking for you. Second, after the resurrection, Jesus went looking for Peter, but when he found Peter, he, he assured Peter that, that he wasn't finished with him. They went to the Galilee. Remember, it, it, Jesus said, tell Peter and the others, I'll meet them in Galilee. So they went. John 21 tells the story. There were seven of them that were fishing. They'd been fishing all night. And they looked up, and there was a figure whom they first didn't recognize, but it was Jesus, and he had built a fire on the shore. So isn't that just an interesting, very simple thing that Jesus had done? And, and then when they got in with all those fish, Jesus said, let's have a, a fish fry for breakfast. Have you ever fished all night and, and fried the fish the next morning? I have. We were down at, they call it Dead End Bridge, Pruitt's Fish Camp in Cherokee County at Center on the Coosa River. Now, I'd gone with my dad. I was a, a little bitty kid and we we went fished all night and a couple of guys had brought Coleman stoves and we we battered those crappie and my my but I digress that has nothing to do with this story of uh, of Peter <laughs> Jesus said let's have a fish fry and they did for breakfast and then Jesus called Peter aside and he asked Peter do you love me Lord, you know I love you. Do you really love me, Peter? Lord, you know I do. Do you love me? Peter, I don't know why Jesus asked him three times. Maybe it's an, a coincidence, but Peter had denied Jesus three times. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And finally, out of frustration, Peter said, Lord Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then he said, okay, Peter, then I want you to feed my sheep. I, I, I want you to join me again. Peter, you've wandered, but you haven't squandered your opportunity to join me in what I'm doing in the world. I want you to help feed my sheep. So when Peter went to see, when Jesus went to see Peter, he, he didn't go and shake his finger at him. He didn't go and shame him. He, he said, I, I want you to come back, Peter, because I've got some things for you to do. Thomas Edison is one of the most famous inventors in American history. Invented, of course, among other things, the light bulb. And in the early days of the light bulb, it would take them dozens of hours to make one bulb. So it was a precious thing. They, they, they worked on one bulb for dozens of hours, and when they'd finished it, it was time to take it to the, the test room in another part of his lab. And so Thomas Edison turned to um, a young man who worked, ran errands for them and, and handed them that precious bulb and told him to take it to the, to the test room. And, and the young man turned and he stumbled and he fell. And when he did, he dropped that bulb and it hit the ground and shattered into a hundred pieces. Thomas Edison turned to his associates and said, let's make another one. And when they had dozens of hours later, and it was time to take that bulb to the test room, he called that same errand boy, that same young man who had fallen, stumbled and broken the bulb. And he he wanted to make sure he got that one, so he handed it to him, and he told him the same thing. Take it to the test room, because Thomas Edison wanted to make sure that that little boy 
knew he was still part of the family, that he, was, he still was part of the mission, that he, did, that, he wasn't, that he hadn't forfeited, he hadn't squandered his opportunity to be part of what was going on there. Jesus went to Peter and said, Peter, feed my sheep. I still have something for you. And I want to say that to you. Some of you who've wandered may be thinking, I've squandered all my opportunities to be part of what God is doing in the world, but you have not. Now, there, it is true that sometimes spiritual leaders wander and they they do such things that they hurt the body of Christ and bring shame on the church, and they do have to step away, and appropriately so. They do step away, for at least for a season, and that's appropriate. But if you have wandered, please don't think you've thrown away your opportunity to be part of the church family. I'm so afraid that there are people who wander and feel so ashamed that you think I can't really be active in the church anymore. I'll come and I'll sit and I'll kind of keep my feet. I'll sit on the edge of the pool, my feet in the water, but I'm not going to dive in because I've wandered. Please don't do that. Some of you may have thought I I can't serve anymore. I can't join in the mission of God to the world anymore because I've wandered. Please don't do that. Jesus found Peter and not only did he extend grace to him, he invited him. Hey man, I want you to come feed my sheep. First thing, after the resurrection, Jesus went looking for Peter. Second thing, when he found Peter, he invited him back into the mission. And the third thing is that uh, Peter's own wandering helped him strengthen fellow wanderers. In the Last Supper, before Peter wandered, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. No, I won't. Yes, you will. But when you do, and I'm, I'm, I'm quoting Jesus now, when you have returned to me, Strengthen the brethren. Isn't that interesting? When you've wandered out and when you've come back, I want you to strengthen the brethren. There's something about those who've wandered who can help fellow wanderers. There was a young preacher who took his first pastorate in the hills of eastern Kentucky. He was a good young man, and yet there was one lady in the church who didn't like him being their pastor, and she let everybody know it, and he went to see her to ask her, ma'am, well, why is it that you don't like me being your pastor? She said, you ain't old enough to have sinned enough to have repented enough to preach to us about it. But this was a, Peter was the guy who'd been there. So when he talked, don't you know that when he talked to those people he preached to and talked to individually, don't you know he spoke with a different kind of tone because he'd been there? <clears throat> We've all wandered to one extent or another for one length of time or another to one depth or another. So we ought to strengthen those who wander. Instead of shaming people, we ought to say, man, I've been there and welcome back. When you've, won, when you've come back, Jesus said to Peter, I want you to strengthen the brethren. When Jesus breathed his breath, first breath after the crucifixion, he was thinking of Peter. He went to see him, and he invited him back. And, and he also said to Peter, man, you, you've had an experience now that's going to be rich and meaningful to other people because you've wandered and you've come back home. So I want you to strengthen your fellow brethren. One of the best examples I know of falling and then eventually feeding the sheep again and whose brokenness has been an encouragement to fellow wanderers is Gordon MacDonald. Gordon MacDonald is the real deal. He's one of the best writers uh, I know. He was the pastor of the largest 
a church in New England. He then became president of the InterVarsity, which is a wonderful campus-based ministry to young adults. And I don't know the whole story. But Gordon MacDonald was unfaithful to his wife. He had an affair. He resigned, as he should have, from InterVarsity, from the president of InterVarsity. And um, he laid low for a while. He, he withdrew from vocational ministry. And he's not one of these TV preachers that, you know, hypocritical and say this thing and do that thing. He, he's the real deal. And after years of, of having done that, by the way, his wife stayed with him. They worked on their marriage. They saved their marriage. And years later, he wrote, Rebuilding Your Broken World. And I want to give you a quote from that. And I don't really like to give you quotes because I know it's hard to listen to a paragraph if you can't see it. But I want you to work hard at listening to this. Uh, I wouldn't do this if I didn't think it were meaningful. So I'm going to read carefully, and I want you to listen carefully. My perception, he writes, is that broken world people exist in large numbers. And that they ask similar questions over and over again, like, can my world ever be rebuilt? Do I have any value? Can I be useful again? Is there life after misbehavior? My answer is yes. That is what grace is all about, a marvelous, forgiving, healing grace that says all things can be new. Now, I know that some people will remember Gordon MacDonald as the man who cheated on his wife. But that does not define him. That act, that event, does not define Gordon MacDonald. And your wanderings do not define you either. Grace is God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting, won't let you go, love. And you are a person of value. And you do have a place in the family. And you have not forfeited your place in God's mission to the world. This past Monday, oh, by the way, get your bulletins out. Would you get your bulletins? There's something I want you to see. At the, at the bottom of the um, order of worship, there's, an, there's a, a something that I just copied and pasted from the internet. This is from this, you'll see uh, October the 21st, this past Monday. And I didn't make this up. This is where you can go look it up yourself. I didn't, this is real. And I, I thought, but I thought, how timely. Look, the Marshall County Sheriff's Office now has new equipment to help them find people who wander. Now, this is wonderful for people who have loved ones whose maybe parents or grandparents have dementia or Alzheimer's and they tend to get confused and wander. And this is just a great, great tool. And I had, I had an idea if, the, if they can come up with a measurement, a tool to measure people when they physically wander, why couldn't we come up? This is Huntsville. Why couldn't we come up with a tool to detect when people wander spiritually? And so, I called Paul Nelson, and I showed him this article, and I said, Paul, this was, this was Monday afternoon. I said, Paul, we got to come up with, with a way to measure when people wander. And so here's the deal. When you leave today, you'll all receive a band like this that it's disguised as a sports watch so people will never know. But this is going to uh, send signals to us when you 
when you wander, and it's going to measure 99 different indications of wandering. So it measures how many times you open your Bible during the week, and it's kind of like a Fitbit. When you go to your knees, it's a, that's a good thing, and, but it measures things you wouldn't imagine, like when you go to church, go to, go to eat after church, how much do you tip the waiters and the waitresses? And, and it, it, it measures what you say about my sermons and that kind of thing, and so it's a, it's a great, so everybody will, and that's what happens with the, the wandering tool that the Marshall County Sheriff's Department has, and, and uh, Madison County has it too. Uh, they wear a band like this, so you will, each of you will wear a band, and then uh, Paul has come up with the, uh, the tool that enables me uh, to follow you uh, where you go. And I'm going to get a signal when you, when you sin. And so, um, <clears throat> there's going to be, there's a scale that we've developed between uh, one and a hundred, one being doing pretty well. A hundred means <laughs> almost a lost cause. And so, when every, everybody over 50, uh, we're going to print your names in the bulletin uh, the, next, uh, the next Sunday. <laughs> and when you get over 75, I'm going to come see you. And this is what I will use. I will, I will track you down, and I will preach to you a strongly worded sermon on backsliding, complete with hellfire and brimstone. I'm going I'm to point my finger at you and, and let you have it. I, I just think this is going to be such a great tool for, for our church. Well, actually, it's, we're not, I'm, I'm teasing. We're not quite ready uh, to roll it out. We're working out some of the kinks. We tried it. We, we didn't get it completed until midweek, and so we tried it uh, 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 on a test group, the, the deacons and the ministers. And um, <laughs> what we found was that when it sends a signal, you know, I told you when you sin, it was going to send a signal, but it also delivers a, an electrical shock. When, and um, we, had, uh, we had some deacons and ministers that were suffering from um, over nearly electrocution, it was, um, <laughs> I was concerned about some of their well-being. In fact, you might want to catch the deacons and the ministers, check their wrists, because some of them, some of them are, uh, have the hair on their very arms singed. It's a sad, sad thing. Well, I'm not, uh, there's no, there's no wander detector. By the way, we named this the FBC 100 or the wander detector. <clears throat> but if there were one, if there were one, has anybody here wandered? If there were, um, I don't know, if at the center of the heart of God, uh, if, they, it, if at the center of the heart of God there, there was some kind of... Um, measurement, some pulse, some, something that beeped really loud when you were near the heart of God. Is anybody here for whom that beeping would be just a faint whisper? Is there anybody here who has wandered? If so, I have really good news for you. It's in First Peter. 224. 
He has taken upon himself our sins in his body on the tree so that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. By your wounds, we are healed. I think it's not a coincidence that that comes from the pen of Peter. I think God smiled on Peter and said, Peter, these are going to be some of the most important words in all the Bible, and I'm going to let you pen them. Because I know how badly you still feel about that that early, that Friday morning. So I'm going to let you tell the world that, that I've taken all my sins on myself on the tree, that, which is the cross, and so that they could live to, die to sin and live to righteousness. By my wounds, Jesus says, you're healed. I think Peter, I, I just imagine this. I don't, the Bible doesn't say this, but I can imagine Peter writing that on a piece of papyrus. And, and when he writes those words, I just imagine Peter taking a deep breath and getting up and wandering outside. And and this time he's crying again, but not like he did that morning when Jesus looked at him. But he's weeping now, tears of gratitude streaming down his face. God let him tell the world that, that there's hope for our sins. If you've wandered, I invite you back home, but I can't let you off easy. I don't have the right to do that. You have to repent. We talk, that's another old-fashioned word we talked about last week. To repent, remember, is a threefold thing. It means remorse, and it means return, and it means rethink. Remorse means I don't play the role of the victim. I don't blame society, and I don't blame my parents. I assume responsibility for my wandering. And I allow myself to feel the weight of that, to feel the weight of having hurt people around me, to feel the weight of having hurt myself, to feel the weight of having broken my father's heart, to feel the weight of that. When Peter made his way home, the first step was when he wept bitterly. Remorse was the first step home for Peter. Repent means remorse. It also means return. It literally means I'm walking in this direction, which is a bad direction for my life. And I turn and I say, God, by your strength and by your grace, I am not going back there. I'm headed in this direction. So to repent is to, is to return. And then it is to rethink, to rethink our identity, to remember we are children of God, children of the, of the king. And, and we haven't thrown that away. You're still the child of the king, no matter how far you've wandered. You can, you can live into that. You can live up to that, that identity of being the child of the king. Rethink yourself. Peter, remember, he thought of himself as a traitor that early in the wee hours of that Friday morning. But after the resurrection, he's confident and, and he's courageous. He sees himself very differently. To repent is to rethink our identity. Remorse, return. And rethink. If you have wandered, if you know that if there were some kind of wander detector, man, if you have wandered last week and today and next Sunday, we're inviting you home. Not to shame you and not to point our fingers at you because we're all fellow wanderers. But we're inviting you home. Will Thompson wrote, Come home.
come home. You who are weary, come home earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. 501 is the hymn that we sing to invite you home. We sing this so that you'll have an opportunity to make a public decision if you and your heart and soul feel stirred by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to invite you to come down to where we ministers are, to be a member of our church family. That's part of what it means to come home. Last week, David said, I've come back, to not just come back to church, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. Maybe that's what your decision is. Or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet, and you want to talk to somebody about that. We'd be absolutely thrilled. And you don't have to be ashamed. We sing for you. 501, let's stand, please.